call you sir. Why that? Because if oh. you if you're a teacher for twenty years. Was nineteen actually? Yeah, twenty-one in university. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't, were you a Mister or a Professor? I was a Mister. I, I come on a garden Mister. Yeah. Um, well, most of them actually go on to teach physical education in in schools. Right. Uh, we, I, I was in a, a big sports science department, and, and they went on to a, to a range of different careers in in football clubs, uh, analysts, and involved in recruitment and so on and so forth. Uh, but into physiotherapy, all sorts of different careers connected with sport now. Yeah. Uh, very different in my day. Physical education, and you, and you taught in schools, and I, I loved it. I, I did nine. 20, uh, 19 years in schools and 21 years in, in university and, and I had a fabulous time. Crikey. 40 years of telling people to do bleep tests. And, uh, <laughs> I would always Absolutely. duck out because I know it would wipe me out for the whole day. So I used to get to about six and then stop. I thought that was uh, respectable. I always enjoyed it. I always enjoyed being fit and keeping fit and... Uh, it's, it's been a passion all my life and I'm, I'm 67 now and, and I, I still... I've still been out running this morning. I still enjoy it. And, oh, uh, yeah, I, my, I love it. My brother does half marathons. He did London, cramped up at 20 miles, and his, his half marathon time is like 1.29, which is exceptional. Wow. Uh, and he goes wow. out running most days. He's got Goji the dog as well, who seems to get a lot wow. of mention on these. I've had Wayne Barton in here. I've had Paddy Barkley in here. But I think yeah. in terms of estimation, Brendan Maguire former PE teacher, you, you never retire from teaching PE, but you've turned into an author, one of many um, authors who have written for Pitch Publishing and your book, Growing Up With The Twin- Twinity, Growing Up With The Trinity, I'll leave that in, An Englishman, A Scotsman and An Irishman Walked Onto A Football Pitch, interests me because I'm writing a book about the FA Youth Cup and if you're going to start anywhere, it's probably with Chelsea's Champions League winning team, but I imagine that I will quote you so much that I'm going to have to give you some royalties because this book <laughs> talks about the, the great era of the 1950s, which you, you, you just lived through. Do you remember anything about the 50s? Not really. You know, my, my first memory in relation to Manchester United was, was standing in front of the TV in our little living room in a little two-bedroom, two-up, two-down house, and I can remember seeing the the, the Pathy News pictures of the of the Munich air crash, and then the, the newsreel. Uh, but I just, you know, I was born in '53, and I just missed that seeing that that Munich generation. Uh, I, I would have loved to have seen David Pegg, Duncan Edwards, the great Duncan. I would just have loved to have seen that. Uh, so, so, you know, Eddie Coleman, Snake Hips. Eddie Coleman from Salford. I would just love to have seen those players, but I, I grew up just after that and, and came in on the on the on the Dennis Law and George Best and, and Bobby Charlton and that that era. Fantastic time to come in. That Sorry. statue I have walked past many times. Arguably, the upkeep of the Best Law Charlton statue, the Holy Trinity, is in better nick than the stadium. I hear reports that there are rats and there are bits of Old Trafford falling down. <sighs> Well, I must admit, I, w- I was surprised when, when Gary Nevels uh, made a comment, didn't he, that uh, that the inside of the stadium was uh, needed renovation and controversial subject, isn't it, that really? Well, I'm going to steer far, far clear of the current administration um, because this is not what we're here to do. But 
United are £600 million in debt or whatever. They've just signed this kid, Sancho, who is A, tremendously exciting, and B, Watford got a bit of money for him because we helped develop him as a kid, sold him onto City, who sold him onto Dortmund, and they've sold him to Man U. And I think in the tradition of the great youth at Manchester United, it, it is true that since 1948 there has always been one academy player in the matchday squad. That, that's absolutely true, uh, which is just a, a, an amazing statistic, isn't it? Uh, oh, it's unreal. In December 2019, it was it, the 4,000th senior match in succession in which at least one youth graduate is represented in the Reds' first team or the squad. It stretches back nine, to before the Second World War. So it's development of youth just goes back, goes back even before Busby's time when Busby was... was invited to take over at Old Trafford by Louis Rocker and it goes back right into the into the decades before that and that was one reason why Busby was attracted to to Manchester United because there was a, a tradition of, of blooding youth but he, but he certainly took that on the pace in the 50s because uh, yeah it's such a great catchment area which now uh, the saddest thing was was it Harvey Neville coming through at Man City or Nicky Butt's son was at Man City one of them one of the United yeah. Legends, their sons, because the City Academy was so far ahead. Although yeah. they've got Nick Cox there, and I'm hopeful of talking to Nick, who made his name at Watford, scouted by Sheffield United, and now he's at Man United, probably, because they said, this is where we, we turn Beckham and the Nevilles and everything. But this, the nature of Manchester United as a, one of the clubs who were going to break away... This is not the Manchester United that everyone knows, even before the glorious Ferguson era, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, yeah. This is, it's a great club, full of wonderful footballers and also human beings. And you spoke to a couple of them for the book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And if you, if you look at the cliff in Salford and, and you think that, you know, United were still training there just, just with one... One grass pitch, you know, as, as late as 1999 when they won the uh, the triple, uh, it's, it's you know it's an amazingly iconic place. I and mean, you think of the players who who have played there and trained there: Duncan Edwards, and Eddie Coleman, and Wilf McGuinness, and all, all these great players through through to Schmeichel and, and Robson and, and Button, Beckham, and so forth. It's just part of the Manchester United story. That, that youth is developed. Fantastic that it's, that's still going on and uh, still producing great young players like Greenwood, like Rashford. And, and I think with great values as well, I think that's uh, that's worth saying. I know Bobby Charlton's unwell at the moment, but mm. he must recognise that in Marcus Rashford, this isn't just the symbol of modern Britain, this is the symbol of modern Manchester United, a kid from Withenshaw. And mm. Watford have just signed a guy called Ashley Fletcher, and the most fascinating thing about Fletcher is that because of all the injuries, had Fletcher not gone out on loan, he would have been in line to start against Michelin. As it was, Marcus Rashford was called up, scored a couple, played against Arsenal, scored a couple, a star was born, and now he is Marcus Rashford saint. Uh, and if he, if he stood for Prime Minister, he'd win by a landslide. But yeah. some of the, the older Manchester United players, Dennis Law still alive, Bobby Charlton is alive, George Best no longer with. They must be insanely proud of what Marcus is doing. I, th- I think so, I, absolutely. I was uh, I was in Manchester a couple of weeks ago and, and, uh, and went to look at the mural, and uh, it, it, you know it, it, it is just 
awesome what, what he has achieved and uh, the club must be very very proud of him and the, and the, and the the past players must be very, very proud of him. And what a, what a super player. What a, what a tremendous player. And I think people forget how young he is. That's that's part of what you sign up to, I think, as a Manchester United fan, that, that they develop players like Marcus Rashford and uh, Mason Greenwood. I think that's part of the uh, the DNA of a, of a, a bona fide Manchester United fan, without a doubt. And also Paul Pogba, to an extent. I know he had to go away because Alex Ferguson didn't like Mino Raiola, but... Paul Pogba can ping a pass like the best in the world. I'm sure there are oh, kids who are saying, how on earth do you do that? I've seen it in the flesh. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I remember seeing Paul Pogba in the, in the FA Youth Cup final against Sheffield United a, a number of years ago and, uh, and Harry Maguire was playing centre-half oh, for, uh, for Sheffield United and, and they were the two standout players and I remember thinking then, you know, Pogba is a big physical presence, and he just he just looked sort of so, so big and so comfortable, and just a standout player. As did Harry Maguire, and they, uh, you know, what they've gone on to achieve again has, has just been phenomenal. And now, uh, yeah, what a what a player, what a talent yeah. Pogba is. But you also no forget that. in that game. Jesse Lingard, who has had an amazing yeah. career. Yeah, yeah. If you compare yeah, all the yeah. elite footballers, he's had a brilliant score winner in the FA Cup final. But also in that team, Ravel Morrison. Uh, Ryan Baldy Ravel talked Morrison. to me about yeah. writing a big profile about him. Yeah. He is at Derby County now. And, well, you've heard the chatter. What did Tony Whelan say about Ravel Morrison to you? Well, Ravel Morrison is just, just again, I think, think back to that game and uh, and Ravel's in a movement in that game. And again, he you know, if he pushed me, he, he was the other standout. You know, that they were the, for me, they were the three standout players in that game, uh, and the and the Lingard. But Ravel Morrison, just phenomenal, phenomenal ability. And uh, you know, I'm not sure what, what age he must be now. I, I guess 26, 27, somewhere yeah. around there. And, and let's hope that he that he, he does, you know, fully realise his potential because he, he is a tremendously gifted footballer, without a shadow of a doubt. The club recognised that and, and tried everything they could to develop that, and that's uh, hope that he does go on to fulfil that huge mm. potential. In a way, this next question is stupid. What is more impactful for Manchester United to win? The UEFA Champions League, the Premier League, or the FA Youth Cup? Because they haven't won it for several um, years, United. Um, the importance of the Youth Cup is uh, financial uh, rewards and so on, don't you? Uh, but I think the significance of the FA Youth Cup is absolutely massive to Manchester United. Always has been. You say you're doing some research on the Youth Cup, Johnny, and uh, you know what, one of my favourite books is is uh, George Best and Twenty One Others by Colin Schindler, and, and it's basically a story of the FA Youth Cup semi-final. Uh, in 1964 between Manchester United and Manchester City and, and the uh, players involved in that game. The crowds were just immense. I mean, over the two legs, it was something like 50, 50 odd thousands, 28, 28, 30,000 the first leg at Old Trafford. Again, bona fide Manchester United fans know the importance of the FA Youth Cup to Manchester United. And, and it's, it goes beyond, almost beyond the winning of it as, as the you know the, the development of young players and that continuation of the of the Busby Babes back in back into the fifties and that you know putting your money on on youth to to progress and and the uh, FA Cup wins during the fifties by the Busby Babes and and then of course of course the 
you know, leading to the tragedy and, and of the crash in 1958. I think United want to win everything that they go into, but the FA Youth Cup has, perhaps more than any other club, the FA Youth Cup, because of the Busby Babes, because of that legacy, because of the Munich air crash, the Youth Cup is, is I think, central to, to Manchester United always, and, and so it should be. I hope so too. I mean, Ali Solskjaer is promoting the young players. Having Scott McTominay anchor this midfield, I mean, it's useful that he's Scottish and that Alex Ferguson's Scottish and that there's a, a stretch back. But I'd love to read a chat between Dennis Law and Scott McTominay. I hope that there has been one. Maybe Tony can try and get them together on my behalf. Since I mentioned Tony Whelan, he was your fixer for this book, Growing Up With The Trinity, published by Pitch. It's about three European footballers of the year and you ask, Why? Why did we get to this stage? Uh, but you met uh, Tony in an academic setting. How fun was that? I did. I, I was uh, lecturing then at, at Manchester Metropolitan University at the Cheshire campus down in Alsager, where, where I still live. And uh, Tony was uh, doing his master's degree with uh, Dr. Ken Parsons in the sociology department. And his book was on, uh, was called The Birth of... His, his dissertation was the, the Birth of the Babes, which later became a book which was published in 2005. I think I was doing some research, maybe at the time, some probably relative research anyway, uh, maybe something to do with the PFA, which, which I've been involved with. And our, our paths crossed, and uh, we just remained good, good friends. And, 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 yeah, Tony was... So when, when I uh, approached Pitch with the idea, uh, and they said they liked it and... and uh, you know, the contract came across. Uh, I, I, I very much uh, relied on Tony's help, and he was absolutely fantastic uh, in both arranging the interviews and, uh, and you know, facilitating access uh, into into Carrington, and uh, absolutely central to the to the book uh, getting off the ground. So uh, I have the uh, the utmost uh, gratitude uh, and respect for Tony Whelan, and and again. Somebody who's been involved now, both as a, as, as a player, as a coach, and now as the academy program advisor for probably over 25 years now. Just another another huge figure in Manchester United history across the decades. And he uh, came, I, Ryan Baldy's book, The Dream Factory, which has just come out, which has Marcus Rashford right. and Trent Alexander-Arnold on the cover as kids and as pros. Right. Uh, Tony right. comes off right. very well in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh massive. I think, I think Tony Whelan is, is massively, massively respected within the game. And, and anybody who meets him, you know, knows that he's just such a genuine guy, such, such, a, such a real football man and a real Manchester United man and uh, you know just thinking about that title that, that mentioned there about the dream factor just thinking back in Nobby Styles's autobiography after the ball and, and, he, and he, he, he he talks about the, the day of the Munich air crash and he actually uses that phrase he said it was just another another shift at the football dream factory mm-hmm. and, and again that's a lovely you know that is a, a lovely lovely book uh, Nobby Styles autobiography it captures that working class North Manchester, it's, it's a part of the city that, that I come from and I'm, I'm very fond of, and it's just football through and through. But it is, it is, a, it is a dream factory, I think, and, uh, and, and fantastic, you know, fantastic when, when players go there and understand that dream, understand the, the Youth Cup, the importance of the Youth Cup, and understand what, what, where the club has come from and where, where it's going to. And I love it when players come out and, and they, they sign into that. And I think the fans love that when, when players buy into that. I think it always will be for Manchester United fans. 
one of the great things about talking to you now is I've just found these two books, which are both available digitally. The Birth of the Babes by Tony Whelan, George Best and oh. 21 Others by the great yeah. Colin Schindler, uh, yeah, who yeah, wrote the yeah. book Manchester United Ruined My Life. Um, yes. He is yes. not a red, yes. he is a blue. In this talk, we will talk about Manchester and United. They're two separate entities. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. I'm, so we'll, uh-huh. we'll talk about... Uh, Manchester in the second half, your book, Growing Up with the Trinity. It means we have to talk about these three men um, embossed, not embossed. I'm searching for a word. What do you do with statues? Cast? I think it is a, it is a fantastic statue. And I like the position of it, you know, facing the ground, facing Matt Busby. Yes. Uh, it, it is. I, I, I love it. Just think of all the nationalities of people who have stood outside the stadium, the statue, and it's a, it's a place of pilgrimage. They are the icons, the literal icons of the great era, even though the last one to depart, was it 1970, Charlton? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's almost 50 years ago, isn't it? It, it is, the, the interest that still exists is phenomenal. But, the, but then, you know, when you look at it in context, when do you ever get three Ballon d'Or winners in the same team? And that's what, you know, Manchester United had. Just three fabulous players... Three different personalities, uh, three different styles of play, but each one of them ab- absolutely magnificent, absolutely iconic. And it, it was just fantastic. It was fantastic to go and watch Manchester United. And, you know, they had other great, great players like, like Tony Dunn, who was probably the best fullback in Europe at the time, uh, Paddy Crerand, who could just spray the ball about, uh, fantastic goalkeepers in, in Greg and Stepney. But these three players could just just change a game in an instant. Each one of them, and, and you know, you, you know, I don't think you ever had a game where all three of them were uh, having an off day. You know, you might have had a, a game where one of them just what, what, it wasn't working, or, or maybe even two of them. But there were, when you had all three of them playing, you always had somebody who could just win a game in an instant, and it, it was fantastic. And you never you never knew what was going to happen. You never knew what they were going to do. And it happened so explosively. They were just, all of three of them were just ex- explosive, quick players and got you off the edge of the seat. You know, a- absolutely fabulous, fabulous time watching them. Oh, I wish Immense. I would. When I was growing up in the 1990s, there were figures like Dixie Dean, players of the 30s and the 40s. Yeah. Dixie Dean was yeah, the yeah. one mentioned because he was in all the books. But now, in 2021, because Bobby mm-hmm. Charlton is suffering from dementia, George Best unfortunately did drink himself That's to death. And Dennis Law is, well, he's still going, he's still kicking, uh, but I think he's 80. He had that film made about him the other year. Yes, 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 good film, good film on Sky, on Dennis. We're, we're all getting older, aren't we? And, Great uh, Yeah, I mean, there's a lovely, lovely bit in the in the book of, uh, that Jimmy Ryan mentions, uh Jimmy Ryan, you know, one of the, one of the, the great players in the 60s, and he says that when he, you know, they went, they went down to... Uh, to Wembley for a, for a get together following the '68 European Cup final, and he had his brother with him, and, and they got off the train I think at Stockport, and he and he says that it, you know his brother met Dennis Law, and of course Dennis Law, as you say now, is 80, he's not the Dennis that we remember from the '60s, uh, but but you know his brother was just just absolutely awestruck that he'd met Dennis Law. I mean, Dennis Law is just just you know a phenomenal phenomenal player, and uh, and I think the the catalyst in the early 60s for Manchester United going forwards and improving. I mean, Dennis Law, 1964, was, was the European Footballer of the Year. 
and, and quite rightly so. He was the most exciting player in Europe. He, he'd been to uh, Torino in Italy, wasn't happy there, wanted to come back to Manchester, wanted to sign for Manchester United. And I think he was a catalyst for the, uh, the decade, the success of the decade ahead. Uh, just a phenomenal player, could just hang in the air. <laughs> I've never seen a player in the same way, just hang in the air and his scissors kicks and overhead kicks. And his finishes were just so sharp, so explosive. And he was—he wasn't a big man. He was about five foot nine. I think—I I think about ten stone, soaking wet. He wasn't a big guy, but he just used to, you know, really intimidate players. Just a phenomenally explosive, fiery, talented player. Wonderful, wonderful player. You make him sound like Maradona. Small. I, I, well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, Maradona. <laughs> Maradona, what can you say? Yeah. A- absolutely, yeah, genius. Absolute when, genius. When I was trying to figure out who the best 11 players were before the Bosman era, so you've got the roster of thousands of players, you can only pick 11. I put Cruyff at left back. That's the only way Pele can get in. But when I was looking for a number nine, I think I put Dennis Law there because I've read his book, which is brilliant. Uh-huh. And just the uh-huh. acclaim that he is held in 67, the league title, 68, the European title, all those caps for Scotland. I'm sure he benefited from having Bobby Charlton just in outside of him. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I mean, Dennis Law played for the rest of the world team against England after the 66 World Cup, don't forget. I mean, Dennis Law was, was you know, right up there uh, with the best in the world uh, as a striker. But yeah, Bobby, Bobby Charlton, well... Everybody want you know as a, as, a, as a youngster, everybody wanted to sign Bobby Charlton. You know, every top club in the in the country wanted to sign Bobby Charlton. And, and the reason why he came to Manchester United, one, one big reason was, was the, the legendary scout Joe Armstrong back in the fifties. And, and and Bobby always says that that wonderful little man is quote is Joe Armstrong, who brought him to Manchester United. What a two footed player! I mean, you know, when I hear commentators now say he came to his weaker foot. He didn't do that with Bobby Charlton. You know, if you look at that goal against uh, Mexico that kick-started the World Cup in 66, you know, what a fantastic goal. And he strikes it with his right foot, 25 yards, top corner. But then, you know, lots and lots of other goals where he strikes it with his left foot. Just a phenomenal, phenomenally two-footed player. So fast, so so quick. The fullback would be rocking on his heel. You couldn't tell whether he was going to go left or right. And superbly fit. I mean, Bobby Charlton just, you know, could run and run and run all day. Uh, not a tackler, not not a header, but in, in terms of uh, attacking and, and speed and stealth and goal scoring on fantastic shots, Bobby Charlton had his had his place amongst the the attacking gods of the game without a shadow of a doubt. Phenomenal player. And he's the best player Newcastle never had because he was more Jackie's cousin. He should, by all accounts, have played with yeah. Jackie Melbourne at Newcastle. How stupid. Yeah. Must And they were yeah, yeah. a very good team. 55, they won the league, famously, as the trophy cabinet yeah, yeah, yeah. says. Why yeah. didn't he sign for Newcastle? And they could have gone there. Bobby, Bobby always puts that down to, to Joe Armstrong. He just, he just convinced convinced uh, Bobby's mother, Sissy, mm-hmm. who was, Jackie who was a strong character. But yeah, yeah, Sissy Charlton, a very strong character. His father wasn't really a football man. His father was more at home, you know, keeping animals and, and, uh, and fishing and that sort of, those sort of pursuits. But Sissy was, was very much into, the, into her football and uh, 
it was Joe Armstrong who persuaded her to, to let Bobby come to Manchester United. And what persuaded her was the pastoral care that Manchester United had for these boys. And there's a lovely chapter in, uh, in Eamon Dumfries' book. I mean, Paddy Barclay's book on, on Matt Busby is absolutely stunning. But it, he, he acknowledges the, the debt he, he owes to uh, Eamon Dumphy, who wrote his book in the uh, about Manchester United in, in, in the 50s, uh, uh, book on Busby, A Strange Kind of Glory. And he, t- he talks about Busby surrounding himself with these, he uses his phrase, decent, dependable men. People like... Joe Armstrong and Jimmy Murphy, of course, and uh, Bert Wally, the, 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 the trainer. When Busby invited these boys, he knew they were going to get looked after. He, and this is, a, this is a big, big part of my book. And uh, uh, When I talked to David Sadler, when I talked to Jimmy Ryan, when, the, when, the, when I talked to Tony Whelan, Wilf McGuinness back, back in the 50s, uh, when Wilf came to the club, they were all looked after. They went to the, you know, they were put into boarding houses uh, in in Ermston and, and, and Stretford and Salford, close to the ground. And these these boys were looked after. Manchester United guaranteed the good pastoral care to the parents. And I think that was a huge, huge factor in getting these boys to Manchester United. And that was the case with Bobby Charlton. And it was certainly the case with Duncan Edwards and David Pegg and players like this. That's the pastoral care was a massive reason why they came to the club. And, and that resonates with me, you know, as a, as a teacher and as a, as a lecturer, because I've been involved in pastoral care and I've been head of, head of pastoral care. Manchester United, you know, looked after these boys and, and that was a, a, a huge reason why Bobby Charlton came to Manchester United and, and, and what a player he turned out to be. And this is a... What a, what a, what a figure, an icon, just, an absolute icon of the game. Beyond football, just an absolute icon of everything that's good. There's um, above the ark in every synagogue, there's the everlasting light, which is meant to represent God's spirit. I think Bobby Charlton is the everlasting light in the theatre of dreams. I just wanted to add, just in case people had forgotten, in the 1950s, what was the maximum a professional footballer could earn from his club activities? Forget Dennis Compton and the hair gel. From his football activities... Yeah, £20. Twenty pound a week, and then a bit less in summer. Yeah, a week. yeah, but the young players, the young players wouldn't wouldn't earn that for sure. Uh, I mean, Wolf McGuinness makes that point uh, that, that he wasn't earning that when he when he when he started out. But I think yeah, twenty pounds was was the maximum. And in, uh, in addition, before, the players were yeah. not assets in the way that today, as you mentioned, financially, you've got Liverpool mm. players who have hardly ever played for the first team. This kid, Mark Gahey, has gone to Crystal Palace for eighteen million pounds. He was like 12th choice centre-back at Chelsea, couldn't get a game, but because he'd come up through the ranks and his quality, Palace have had to say, okay, fine, what's his contract worth? We need to sign him. These were men, or boys really, not financial assets. And I I wonder when that all changed, when a young kid like David Beckham was treated as an asset rather than a player. Paul Pogba, an asset, because... Ferguson said yeah. his agent was a pain. That's why he had to go, Pogba. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you know, again, going back to Bobby, uh, David Beckham came through Bobby Charlton football schools in uh, Hopwood Hall in, in North Manchester. I, I coached there uh, once, or, once or twice uh, back in the, the late eighties, early nineties. You know, D- David Beckham was uh, won the Bobby Charlton football school. Uh, obviously, you know, tremendously gifted young kid and 
and, and, and Ferguson, of course, looked after him and nurtured him and, and brought him along to matches and, and uh, gave him tickets for games and so on and so forth. I think what Ferguson did, I think, uh, that maybe didn't happen in the intervening decades from when from when the Trinity you know, retired, finished in 70, 71, and then you've got sort of almost 20 lean years. Ian McCartney makes a point in his, his book uh, about United, and he says that Ferguson discovered an old recipe of, of reinvigorating the youth policy. And I think one thing uh, Alex, Sir Alex did was to, you know, any kid that was talented in Manchester, he made absolutely sure he got, you know, he got involved with the, with the, the schools and, the, and the, the PE teachers. And he made absolutely sure that any, any kid who was talented was going to come to Manchester United as, as best as he, as he could. Do you so, think it's because in 1986, uh, another uh, key section of my youth cup book is the in, the interregnum period where between 1961 and 2000 only one side actually regained the youth cup and that was crystal palace and that was the late 80s at the time when you had paul lake david white and the phenomenal man city team do you think alex ferguson had looked at man city and also talked to matt busby and said look give me five years we need a youth academy that's how we're going to grow. I don't know. Like that. I, I, yeah, I probably need to ask Tony on that one. But I, I think, you know, he's, he's certainly... Uh, they were fabulous players, weren't they? Uh, they beat Man U in the 86 a, final. You know, I, I think he would have been acutely aware of that. And uh, United look at City and City look at United. You know, Manchester's a, a big city, but it, but it's, you know, small enough, you know, to know what's going on. Uh, it, it's nowhere near the size of London. You know, looking at what City were doing would have, would have been massive. And... Uh, I guess cost came into that as well. It was, uh, you know, you put your money into that and, and develop youth and, and eventually, you know, you have, but you have to have some patience as well and that pays dividends. And I think, you know, United were patient with, with, with Sir Alex. He had he had his moments in the, in, in the early days where results weren't going his way. And uh, I think patience, you know, needs to be shown. And, and sometimes, it, again, that's another feature on a modern game, isn't it? It's... It's, it is hard for managers now because there just isn't that patience, is there, to wait around for results and wait around for teams. Yeah, although the second longest serving manager in the Premier League is Manchester United's. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, well. Very well. rare. Uh, they must yeah, have a yeah. very good contract. 